Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 59 of The Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And I just have to tell everyone we are recording in my house, which is nice. We've had some times where we couldn't do that because it was hot or we were other fun places, not, you know, a big problem. But but, um, this is what a true friend does for you. Chris just arrived and I told her I was having a problem with my toilet. And she went and looked at it for me. We had a whole conversation in my little bathroom, and I just thought, this is what a good friend does for you. So Looks in your toilet bowl. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Chris. Anytime. And I have to say, we are also, you can tell it's fall, I think, by the amount of books we're surrounded by on this little table that we record on. We'll have to take a photo of it. Yeah. Um, because on the way here, I stopped and picked up some books on hold and... And yeah, so and, and she arrived here, and I already had a huge stack. So yes. we're it's fall, falls in the air with lots of reading hopes and dreams. Yes. Anyway, and we have a few little housekeeping things we wanted to talk about before we start with our segments. One is we just want to remind people that we have a Zazzle shop store. I think it's yeah. called right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zazzle. That we have our the Book Hoogers tote bag there that a lot of people admired when we were at Book Expo. We have the Charlotte Bronte quote mug. Which we've updated. Right. And we've added three more mugs. So now we have quotes by Louisa May Alcott, Willa Cather, and Isaac Isaac Dennison. Dennison. Yeah. Yeah, So check them out. They're all, all the mugs have different quotes and then they're different colors. They'll be available for sale too at the Book Club Bookstore and more in South Windsor, Connecticut, if you happen to be a nutmegger. Yes. Check it out. And um, we'll just put the link to that in the show notes. So. Yes. And I think you can just go to Zazzle and search for book, book cougars. But it should come up. Yeah. yeah but yeah. other things come up as well. So I will put the link in that just takes you right to all of our stuff. Thank you, ma'am. And we wanted to let you know, too, remind you, we have that Patreon account. And we wanted to give a shout out to Colleen in Chicago, who just became a monthly supporter. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us in that way. It really makes a difference in our equipment and some of the biblio adventures we're able to go on. Yes. So thank you. And that too can be found on the website if you need. And I will put that link in the show notes as well. And also a reminder that we have a Goodreads page. Each of the episodes has its own discussion area as do our read-alongs reminder on the read-alongs if you haven't gotten to the read-along yet it's a fun way to go back in and be able to reopen the conversation with other members of the group we have over 200 members now so there's lots of conversation to be had if you're looking for an online book group yeah and people do hop on to some of the older read-alongs that we did which is cool yeah it's fun wow when is our next read-along going to be Let's aim. I think we're going to try to have one in November. Okay. We talked about that. So we need to do a little thinking on that. Thinking. There's All lots right. of books to read. And we have really enjoyed our Summer of Little Women. And we oh, have gosh. one little follow-up to that yes. in our Biblio Adventures. In the interim, shall we start with currently reading? Sure. Absolutely. Um, you want me to go first? Yes, because I finished a book 15 minutes before you arrived. So I'm not currently <laughs> reading anything. <laughs> Oh, too funny. All right. Well, I'm Chris. And and I know we've been hearing from some listeners here and there who don't know our voices yet. So maybe we should get better about saying who we are. Every once in a while. We don't want to drive people crazy. Yeah, we don't want to drive people crazy. And also, we are in Guilford, Connecticut. Yes. That is another thing, too. I know when we talk about local events or the local library, sometimes people are like, where are you? So Guilford, Connecticut. We're really near New Haven. Okay, so what am I reading I am listening to The Scribe of Sienna by Melody Winnower. I am not even halfway into it yet. I kind of stalled a bit. Okay. But it is, I listened to some coming over here. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm also, I started uh, Solemn Graves by James Ben, which I'm really enjoying. I'm just in chapter five, I think. So really oh, new. Great. I am enjoying it. It's a World War II mystery billy boyle is the detective he was a cop in civilian life and then of course you know got drafted during the war and they are in france investigating the murder of a captain in a french home shortly after Mm d-day i think it's like a month after d-day or so and great this is number 13 in the series i think and it just came out i want to say last week september Mm -hmm. 4th i think so you should be able to find it you know, in bookstores and libraries now. Yeah. And that was one I, I did preview the audio, 
But I didn't really appreciate the voice mm. as much as I did meet uh, James Ben at a writer's conference earlier this year. And I picture him and his voice yeah. in my mind. And, and that it was just too much of a, a leap to embrace this other guy's voice. So I have James's voice in my head when I'm reading. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. He has a nice voice. Because yeah. remember, I went to that event at RJ's with him <laughs> when he was in conversation with Kara Black. Right. And he yeah. does. He has a lovely voice. It's. Right. I wonder if he considered... I know a lot of authors... No, they shouldn't narrate their books, but I wonder if he considered it. I wonder. Yeah, so his voice is in my head when I'm reading, and I I am enjoying it. And he has a sidekick, too. And so now I'm really kind of curious to go back to book one and see how does their relationship develop or, you know, when did the sidekick come along and, and right. that kind of thing. Oh, good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm reading one more book right now, The Odyssey by Homer. It's the new Emily Wilson translation that just came out earlier this year that got a lot of really great press. There was a big article in the New York Times about her and her translation. It's the first published translation of The Odyssey by a woman. Oh, fascinating. So it's very different than some of the other more, I don't know, should we say macho translations? Sure. I'm not really sure. Um, but I'm enjoying that. I'm doing it as a slow read, which means I'm just reading a couple pages every night before bed. How do you remember? That's what I wonder. Like, if you've got all these other books in your head, mm-hmm. do you find it's almost easier to remember because you've just put so little of it into your head each time you read? Maybe. And it's because... It's so different, too. I mean, it is it is more poetic. Yeah. And I've read The Odyssey a okay. couple of times before. So, so it's a reread. Yeah, yeah, so it is a reread in that way. Mm-hmm. Not that I would be able to compare the translations. Like, in my head, I would right. need to have them in my, you know, have the hard copy in front of me. Because when I was in college, we read the Lattimore translation. I still have that at home. So maybe eventually I'll take that off the shelf and kind of compare some of the passages or whatnot. Yeah. But I think, you know, I, I try to choose books. If I'm listening to a book, reading a book, I try to have them be a little bit different from each other. So like with Solemn Graves, it's a man. Scribe of Sienna, it's a woman, the main character. Right. And then They're the Odyssey is stories. so poetic yeah. um, more than narrative. So... Although it's narrative poetry. Anyway, yeah. yeah. As long as they're different enough, I can right. handle it. Because I can always be doing a nonfiction and a fiction. And sometimes I can be reading a hardcover fiction and listening to a fiction and a nonfiction, but that sometimes blows my mind a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but you're right. It depends on how different the books are. That's true. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I do go in phases where all of a sudden it's just like, holy crap, I have six books that I'm reading or whatever. And that's, right. whoa, way too much. Yeah. And then I'll go through a phase where it's like one book. I have one mind. Yeah. I'm going to have one book. <laughs> and that's it. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So now on to Just Read, apparently. Yeah, so I will just talk a little bit about The Scribe of Sienna by Melody Winnower, because I did finish it, but I don't want to do any spoilers for you. But just to give people an idea of what it's about, it's um, the main protagonist is Beatrice Lovato, Travato, I'm sorry, and she's a neurosurgeon in current day. And as she's doing surgeries on her patients, she starts to have very empathic feelings about them. And... This is a little bit of a concern for her because it's interfering with her surgeries, which, you know, if someone's operating on your brain, you don't really want them to be distracted. And um, then, and she is an orphan. Her mother died when she was born. So that's not a spoiler. That happens right away. And she was raised by her brother who is in Italy doing research. And she ends up going back in time, back in time to Siena. And it involves art and espionage and the plague, which... Yeah, she she arrives arrives like the year before, like six months before. She knows that the plague hit Sienna because her brother was a medieval scholar. Right. Yeah. It's been described as, um, one of the reviews described it as like Outlander with an Italian accent. Mm -hmm. So I know there are readers who are huge fans of the Outlander series, which has lots of books in it. Oh, yeah, I think like six or so. And I I know that is one that I want to read. My mom and my sister are like, oh, my God, you have to read this. Right. And I just feel like I will, 
But I know once I started, it's one of those that people tend to go through like wood chippers. And I right. think that's going to be a big time commitment. Because they're long books. They're I mean, and my sister listened to, I know she listened to the first Outlander. I don't know that she stuck with the series, but I want to say it was over 20 hours. It might have even oh. been 30 hours. Yeah. I mean, it's a big they're, book. They're big. Yeah. Yeah. As is Scribe of Sienna. I mean, it's right under 500 pages. So I enjoyed it. I did get a little bogged down with some of the detail. And part of that is I'm not, as I've mentioned on the podcast, I'm not a huge history buff. So when she was doing a lot of description of, you know, 1300 Sienna in Italy, that's just honestly not that interesting to me, you know. Mm -hmm. But I thought the story was really intriguing. Yeah. I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a debut novel, and I thought it was impressive for a debut novel and had some of the clumsiness that a debut novel can have as well. Okay. You know. Yeah. But so I did finish the whole thing, and I hope that you two get through it. I know you're listening to it on audio, and I don't know what that would be like, because I did find myself in certain times skimming Mm -hmm. and I also I love books that go back and forth to different times and I preferred the modern daytime yeah and there's not as much of that as okay all right well the good thing about the audio is you get the the pronunciations yes I don't speak Italian so you get the pronunciations of people's names and the places yes and you get that flavor of it yeah I can see where that would actually be really fun yeah yeah and I also have to just say I wish there was a little bit more food in it because <laughs> I love Italian food. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. She just talked about in the scene. One of the scenes I just listened to, she was having milk with some ginger in it, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, I'm gonna try. Yeah, well, okay. that's delicious. I'm lactose intolerant, so <laughs> it would be almond milk and that. But yeah. she did. She mentions almond milk in yes. there, and I'm thinking like, wow. So almond milk's been around yes. for a long time. It's not just a new. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Fad. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. So, The Scribe of Sienna by Melody Winnewer. Well, I just read a kid's book. I think I've mentioned in the past that I've become a bit obsessed with horseshoe crabs. Yes. Because we have horseshoe crabs here. And I had never seen one prior to living here. And I think they're amazing. So, I've started scanning our library for books about horseshoe crabs. There are not a, very many adult books oh, interesting. out there that I have found yet. And mm-hmm. I just started with our library system. But I did find this one, The Crab from Yesterday, The Life Cycle of a Horseshoe Crab by John F. Waters, and it's illustrated by W.T. Mars. It came out in 1970. Oh, Here, sniff it. It has that smell that... Oh, it sure does. That old kids' book smell. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a story of this young boy who, who finds a horse... Well, let me back up. It's a story of an old horseshoe crab an old female horseshoe crab who's coming to lay her eggs and, and have them fertilized by the male and blah, blah, blah. And along comes this boy and he picks her up and he takes her and he gets four cents for her. Some guys collecting horseshoe crabs for four cents a piece. And they just take them to the town dump and dump them. Oh. Because the idea is that the horseshoe crabs are eating the crabs or and the clams and other shellfish that the humans want to eat and they think that the horseshoe crabs are somehow oh, harming them. them. Yeah, yeah, so they they they're looking at horseshoe crabs as pests. Oh. So there is a happy ending for the horseshoe crab. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, did I say the book came out in 1970? Yeah. So it's interesting because there's no mention of the medical help of horseshoe crabs in their blood, which has I think revolutionized medicine and surgery and healthcare in general, because their blood has, I think, like bacteria. It, it can detect bacteria. So it's been really influential, helpful with E. coli. And then it also is a coagulant. Mm. So it's used in surgery a lot. And So they yeah. must be harvesting horseshoe crabs they are for that purpose. They right? horseshoe crabs. And their blood is crazy, crazy expensive. Hmm. The medical industry right now, I guess it's pretty much kind of not very regulated. And now the concern of conservationists who are trying to protect the horseshoe crab is, can the horseshoe crab survive this new onslaught mm-hmm. on them? You know, they're no longer considered the pests. Now they are considered useful for humans in this other way. So they get harvested. Mm. And companies, you can Google it. You can see pictures of them strapped into a line with something coming out of them and their blue blood coming out. I think they can drain like a th- two-thirds of their blood or half yeah. of their blood, and then they release them again. 
but there's no way of knowing at this point if those horseshoe crabs that are blood, if they survive once they're released again. And then, you know, Mm. it's such a strain for them to be harvested. And then how are they cared for before they get to the lab? And so it's a big issue right now. And they are such an important species. And they've been around since the dinosaurs. Yeah, they're very prehistoric. For people who've never seen them, they have... They're flat on the bottom, and they have this hard kind of circular shell and then this long tail that comes out of them. But if you flip them over, they have a bunch of claws, is what you call them, right? Mm -hmm. And they're very prehistoric looking. Yeah, they're they're awesome. They're just amazing looking. And so that is uh, something to continue to look into is the horseshoe crab and their... Because they're considered, what is it called when there's an animal that is considered like um, kind of like a beacon to the whole system, the whole the, the health of a biosphere? I don't know. There, there's a name for them. I can't think of it right now. But you know, if that animal starts going down, you know there's a bigger problem in that in that environment. Yeah, more to come about the horseshoe crab yeah. because um, I did pick up a book today that came in at the library. I'll talk about in a later segment. But that was The Crab from Yesterday, The Life Cycle of a Horseshoe Crab by John F. Waters from 1970. So I, I think it's cool to read a children's book to learn because I, I, I think the way that they, you know, a well-written children's book, they give you just the facts. Oh, I love they do. It. Well, you know what? In this children's book, I was kind of surprised by some of the languaging. Can I just read you a couple paragraphs? Sure. Is that weird? I just told people I'm sick of hearing about horseshoe crabs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so just just think, 1970s. How would this? How would these three paragraphs be written now? One female, her hard, horny shell cracked, scratched, and gouged, was older than the others. The top of her shell was laced with large white barnacles. Three boat shells clung to her undershell, along with bits of green algae. A long, spiny sword tail stretched out behind. In the moonlight, she was indeed a weird sight. As she neared the beach, she released a jelly-like ooze. Its smells spread through the shallow water to the waiting male horseshoe crabs. They became excited and began to crawl toward the old female, bumping and thumping each other as they moved. This was the strange noise in the spring night. As she moved toward the beach, a male approached her from behind. His two front legs had large thumb-like claspers, and he used them to grasp the lower hind section of her shell. This was the mating act for the male. Together they moved toward the beach. Now the old female was ready to deposit her eggs. There you have it, folks. Horseshoe crab porno. (laughs) Some hot horseshoe crab action. I was just thinking, like, so for one, if it was written today, Mm -hmm. in 2018, it would be probably a young, hot female crab. (laughs) Right? It wouldn't be <laughs> some old cracked horseshoe crab. I, I don't you know. know. Yeah. I don't know. That's anyway. hilarious. <laughs> okay. Nothing's going to compare now, Chris, the rest of the episode. I finished Rooted in Deceit by Wendy Tyson. This was sent to the Book Cougars by Henry Press. It's the fourth book in the Greenhouse Mystery series. I really enjoyed it. It's a cozy mystery. Just came out on September 4th. And um, it takes place in Winsome, Pennsylvania. Uh, the protagonist's name is Megan, and she was a lawyer. So right away I was like, ooh, la la. <laughs> and um, she's now uh, decided to become a farmer. And kind of, what do they call that? Like in a, a little small farm. But she wants to do, obviously farmers need to make money. Mm-hmm. And so she sells some of her produce to restaurants and other places, but she also has a small restaurant on her farm. And this book starts out with them transforming a barn that has some history that I didn't understand because it took place in some of the past books. But you know that something bad happened in this barn, so they want to make it a happy place instead. And they've created a pizza restaurant in it. They put one of those cool pizza ovens in and things like that. Yeah. So, And the story is about a mystery that takes place, obviously, because someone dies. I don't know any mysteries that don't really include that. And Megan, with her history of being a lawyer, gets pulled in because some of the... She knows the woman who passed away, has some history with her, but also her father, who's visiting with his... with her stepmother, who's a somewhat unlikable character becomes a suspect Mm. 
And so Megan gets pulled in for both her lawyer prowess and also just her knowledge of the area. Okay. So I really enjoyed it. The only thing I felt like was missing were recipes. <laughs> I love, like, I love to read Diane Mott Davidson cozies. I haven't in years. I used to read those as a guilty pleasure when my kids were young. Mm-hmm. And she's a caterer who solves, gets drawn into mysteries and helps solve them. And there's always a bunch of recipes in her books, which I love. So it was a very fast read. I tore through it in probably just a few sittings. And um, it did make me want to go back and start from the beginning of the series. I don't honestly know if I'll have time. Yeah. But, but I really did enjoy it. Rooted in Deceit by Wendy Tyson. Well, the other book that I read was The Collide, which is the third and final book in Kimberly McCrate's The Outliers trilogy. And I really just kind of ripped through that trilogy. You know, the book two had such a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And I just started it right away. I can't remember the last time I read three books in a row by an author, whether it's part of a trilogy or a series or anything like that. Usually I'll kind of space them out. And they're they're not short books. No. You know, uh-uh. they were like definitely in the 300s, like... I'm the, not Clyde, sure I, well, the Clyde, everybody, is the book I finished 15 minutes before Chris okay. got here. I yeah. picked it up at the library yesterday, and I finished it today. And it, yeah, it's okay. 326 okay. pages. Because right. yeah. I read them on my e-reader, so I wasn't okay. really sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's that tricky thing with the e-reader, too, that shows you what percentage you have left. And, like, with that cliffhanger, I was like, no fucking way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then because there were still, like, some, you know, a couple percent left, but that was all the after the acknowledgments yes. and then some of the promotions yeah. from the publisher. So I was like, oh, man. So I, you know. Have you ever been totally tricked with your e-reader where you think you're at, like, even lower, like, you know, 92% and you think you have a ways to go, but mm-hmm. unbeknownst to you, there's... The introduction to the next book at like two right, chapters yes, of the next book exactly. or something. So you finish and you're like, what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice. As opposed to the opposite. Like, right. oh my God, how much longer do I have to go exactly. with this, this sucker? So anyway, I really enjoyed the Clyde. I, I love the trilogy in general. I can't wait to talk with her. We're going to be doing the event tomorrow after this episode is, is live. But I love the whole concept of the outliers and I don't know how much of a spoiler we want to give at this point. Well, just so everyone knows, I fin- as well read the trilogy, so yeah. we can talk about that a little bit. I listened to the Outliers and the Scattering, and then I read the Collide. So it was kind of an interesting experience for me to do two on audio and then read one. Mm-hmm. I just I wanted to say in general, I think, and I think you and I have talked about this that. It's also interesting to get to a cliffhanger and be able to get the book right away. Right, You know, because we both binge read, just like how you binge watch now on television, you know. These were things we didn't used to be able to do. You know, you'd watch an episode of a television show, and sometimes there'd be a cliffhanger that, you remember, you had to wait for the next season to come out. Yeah, like when... JR got shot. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And the same with, you know, the Harry Potter series was Mm -hmm. like that for me because I was reading them at the time they were coming out and you had to wait a year for another book to come out. And then I think of the Game of Thrones devotees where, I mean, doesn't he take like eight years or something? (laughs) Well, he takes longer. He usually misses his deadlines. Okay. So, yeah. So we got to, you know, get to that cliffhanger in the scattering and then just like, I I, uh, scurried to the library and was lucky to find a copy. So it's funny. Yeah. I was talking to Cindy who owns the book club uh, bookstore and she was like, you're lucky that you get to read them that way because she did not get to read them that way. (laughs) So maybe we should just give a really, it it is a tough series to talk about because you don't want to give an spoilers but the overarching idea of the outliers do you want to well the overarching idea is that there is uh, a young woman she's a teenager she's in high school whose best friend they've been having struggles as friends kind of goes missing and her father is implicated a bit because he's a scientist and you find out there's been some research going on with people's abilities to empathize to have really strong powers of empathy to the point where some people speculate maybe it could be ESP even there's a military component dark military matters a political component so with some of those pieces of the trilogy 
you know, you, you get a really good vibe that it could be happening. Right. Because, you know, these secret military there are projects that going are going on. on. Yeah, yeah, there are always tests going on. And how amazing it could be to have that power and to train other people maybe to have that power or to harness that power. So then even within people who are aware of the potential of this ability that some people have, they want to harness it in different ways. Right. So there is also some religious fanatics as well as the mean, evil political people and nasty military. So, right. Yeah. And then it's a kind of a chick power yes. book, too. Like, you, you know, young girl empowerment, trusting yourself, mm-hmm. doing yeah. scary things. Yeah. And there are boys in the book as well. There's a, a boyfriend and some other guys. The brother. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The brother. I like the brother. It's Wiley, who is the main character and her brother. I don't remember. Gideon. Gideon. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like their relationship. Yeah. And, and what happens with them. It's also interesting because it made me think about how in Disney movies, the, the parents are either, usually the mother is dead and the parents are either totally not a part of it or they're dead. Mm -hmm. And in this book, the parents are kind of mysterious. Mm -hmm. You don't know if they're good. You don't know if they're bad. You don't know if they're alive. You don't know if they're dead. (laughs) It's very complicated. (laughs) So I actually really liked that part of it. And it is very focused on the kids Mm -hmm. and the kids having to come together. And there's a lot of twists and turns and you don't know who to trust. Exactly. And I really did enjoy it. And they say, I think when I was reading reviews that it's for, they recommend from 12 to 16. Mm -hmm. So it's not a young young adult book it's teenager and up i would say yeah but as an adult i enjoyed it i haven't been interested in a ya series since probably the hunger games okay so it was fun see and even with the hunger games i only read the first one just to kind of mm. see what it was about yeah i did, read them all did I you liked them. yeah 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 i think what happened to me is i read the first one and i was late to the game and then i watched the movie oh and i yeah. think i should have probably read all three books and then yes watch the movies yeah you know yeah. That visual thing can really take you in different directions in your head. Yeah. Yeah. As you're reading then subsequent books. Yep. So yeah. and Kimberly McCrate's a lawyer. Yes. So there's your ooh la la exactly. moments as well. She although I will say she had a lawyer in there that was a little suspect. So mm-hmm. sketch. <laughs> yeah. Sketchy lawyers. Sketch lawyer. Yeah, but it was really cool. And I think there's I can imagine that this is a good mother daughter book club read yeah. because there are a lot of things that you could talk about that are definitely real life situations yes yeah so we'll have more because we're going to be at her event tomorrow we'll have more to talk about yeah and yeah. episode 61 yes. i believe it will be yes biblio adventures yes well we had one when we finished recording episode 58 which was we moved to my couches <laughs> and watched Little Women, the what was it? Thirty three, thirty three, yeah, uh, with Catherine yeah. Hepburn, yeah, which we feel very close to her because you know she lived in Old Saybrook, which is just down the road, yeah. And there is so, the Kate, right? Which is um, they have live performances there. They also show movies and a lot of different things happen at the Kate, and they will be showing Little Women on the big screen in November, and we'll we can put a link to that in the show notes yeah. for you local folks. Yeah, that would be really fun to see. see. It's a beautiful screen. little theater. Yeah. So we were kind of cracking up over watching the movie because in the beginning, there's a lot of kind of heavy-handed Christian stuff happening. Christmas carols, you know, the Christmas charity, like it's Christian, Christian, Christian. And we're like, wow, that's a little kind of heavy-handed in some right. ways. And then it gets to the, the scene where Joe is selling her first book and she walks out of the press and the name of the press is Spread Eagle Press. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever seen Chris laugh so hard. Oh, my God. It was so funny. And I kind of feel like like reflecting on this thing, like they had to have had that be a setup. Yeah. Like to have it be Christian, 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 wholesome, 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 and then Spread Eagle Press. <laughs> Oh my god, that so cracked me up. Yeah, it, it was, was really hilarious. funny. Yeah. yeah, it was very funny. And it's funny too because she's like skipping out the door of it, you know? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was really wonderful. A good yeah. scene. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was, um, I always love movies of that era because I think the clothing is beautiful. Like things seem 
more well-made in a certain way, you know, so I thought that part of it was enjoyable to watch. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how I felt about one of the things, what was the characterization of, why can't I think of the guy she ends up marrying? That's terrible. Professor Bear. Professor Bear. The first scene, he's dressed as a bear, which was hilarious. (laughs) When he's first introduced, he's like crawling around on the floor. With a bear head on. With a bear head on. Chasing kids. (laughs) He definitely didn't look like how I had imagined him to look when I was reading the book, you know? Mm-hmm. But other than that, I thought all of the characters were pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like appropriate. Appropriate or, yeah. to what they felt like mm-hmm. when I was reading it. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I thought so too. I liked Laurie more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. His characterization. And yeah, I I enjoyed watching it. I loved Catherine Hepburn. And yeah. I could see why a lot of people have considered her their Joe. Mm-hmm. Just the way she moves. She moves so naturally like a tomboy because she was such a physical actor there's a great movie called holiday with cary grant and katherine hepburn Cary, it's one of cary grant's first movies hmm. and she was a star already and they do a lot of tumbling and acrobats in that movie and they do their own stunts their own stunts yeah. and stuff because he was also very physical and very much um a physical actor and so that's a cool movie so yeah. i don't know i just i she like was spunky she was totally spunky yeah. and had that attitude and that edge and yeah. and i could see how some people also then say it's a little bit over the top but i think some acting was over the top in the earlier days of film yeah yeah because they were trying to convey subtle things to an audience that maybe they didn't the the audience wasn't as sophisticated as it is today in terms of movie watching right Be, you know because like, they didn't have the history of movie watching right. behind them yeah yeah. To pick up on subtleties, right? Yeah. Could that be? I think that's true. Okay. And I mean, remember, they had been silent movies, and mm-hmm. now they were able to talk! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was so much fun. And I wanted to say one more Louisa May Alcott thing. Um, so apparently, remember I read Transcendental Wild Oats, which was Louisa May Alcott's um, humorous take on Fruitlands, which was her dad's, uh, Branson Alcott's, experimental utopic community right. and there's a scene in there where the dad uh, fruitlands is closing down his partner leaves and he takes to his bed for like a week and doesn't eat and doesn't drink and just keeps his head turned to the wall and we talked about that scene in whatever episode it was and thinking that it was just for you know dramatic effect but that really happened that's what branson alcott really did in real life he took to his bed after fruitlands collapsed wow and his you know dedicated wife and kids had to try and pull him back into life right Interesting. I mean, I wonder if it was a form of depression or it made when you t- first told me this, it made me mad because I thought, well, that's what they used to call hysteria with women. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, and he just was able to take to his bed. Of course, we don't really know necessarily how they all reacted. I'm being a little judgy there. Well, but. it totally I mean, I feel like it is a total flip of the gender roles that Marmy slash Mrs. Elcott was the one busting her ass to make mm-hmm. ends meet and provide and, you know, dad was off being dramatic and right. kind of flittering around. Yes, but I will grant him that he's the one who had the idea for recess, which children today still enjoy. So I, I give him a little cred for that yeah. one. Well, and he did <laughs> support his daughter's ambitions. I yes. mean, and that is totally commendable, absolutely, that he supported his daughters and whatever their interests were in educating them. And he built Louisa's first desk right That's there in right. her room. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he's a complicated figure. Yes. But talk about being able to time travel. I mean, it would be so fascinating to time travel and meet some of these people in real life. I don't know if I'd want to meet Branson Alcott, because remember when they told us when we went to Orchard House that he... Would be, people would walk miles right. to avoid him because he could talk you, for eight hours. He, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't do very well with people like that, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> what what could we do? Hmm. <laughs> Created a version. Maybe we could go together, and you know, one of you, one of us starts a fire on hour I guess, four. Yeah, one or of something. us could faint, and yeah. the other one could have to. Oh, we have to take care of her and right. leave that way. So I also um, got to get to R.J. Julia last night in Madison, and I I heard Kate Walbert talk about her new book, His Favorites. 
Um, she was introduced by Roxanne Cody, the owner of the store, who's not, I don't see her that often at the store anymore, so that surprised me. Oh, the big gun was there. The big gun. <laughs> and I didn't realize that Kate Walbert's a local. I have oh, I no idea. I guess she lives in New York City, but she, I think she has a house in Stony Creek, which hmm. is just down the road. So there was a big local contingent there that were obviously her neighbors and knew her well, you know. Cool. It started out a little slow for me. I mean, Roxanne did a great introduction. And then what Kate did was she just opened the book and started reading. And that's hard for me. As I've mentioned, I don't love when authors read. But also, I've just found the more events I go to, if they at least introduce their reading, it sets the tone for me a little bit. And it was a very tough... She read the very beginning. It's very hard. And then she closed her book and she said... Any questions? <laughs> and it was kind of like, you know, just silence across the room, which, you know, the first question's always slow to happen, usually, yeah. you know, no matter who the author is. But this one was like, here, I'm going to punch you all in the stomach. <laughs> Does anyone have a question? You know, and the book, I have not read the book. I cannot wait to read it. The basis of what she read, which was the very beginning, so this isn't a spoiler, was that a young woman causes her best friend's death. And then spends, obviously, the rest of her life impacted by that. But there's also some version of what Roxanne referred to as a Me Too movement sort of idea in that the woman then ends up in a relationship, an unhealthy relationship, I believe, with a professor, a student professor relationship. And some of that has to do with her... I don't, I hesitate to say weakness of character. That's probably not a good way to say it. Her struggles with her foundational experience is probably a better way to say it. That she maybe is more apt to fall for a relationship that's unhealthy. So that is my understanding of what the book is about. I have read her book, A Short History of Women. She is very spare with her writing in a way that I really appreciate not overly detailed, very precise paragraphs and sentences that make precise paragraphs. So the it made me want to just walk out the door and read her book. But sadly, I was in the middle of the collide, which I couldn't put down. <laughs> so it is definitely um, moved higher on my TBR. I believe it just came out. Okay. One of the other things I just wanted to mention that when, when Roxanne was closing the evening, you know, she made mention that there's a lot of noise in the world right now. And I think she was referring to, obviously, you know, political noise and things like that. But also what she was also saying is that some of this noise is leading to very big books that everyone's talking about. Mm -hmm. Like Fear is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, the by Woodward. Woodward, yeah. yeah. And she said, you know, great, let's all read, you know, any book we want to read, but let's not forget about some of these quieter books like Kate Walbert's. And let's be cheerleaders for those books because they're really important to read as well. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good point. And, you know, I think here at the Book Cougars, I'm proud to say that I think we do, we are cheerleaders for a lot of different kinds of books. Absolutely. Um, but I think this is definitely one people would do well to read, cool. you know. Yeah. So. Sounds good. Yes. His favorite's Kate Walbert. Upcoming to Johns. upcoming Johns. Yeah. Well, tomorrow we have Kimberly McCrate, which will be, again, past uh, when this episode airs, that event will have happened. Um, there are some cool events coming up. I, you want me to just list a couple Please. that I, they have caught my eye? Yeah. So there's um, on Monday the 17th at RJ Julia Madison, um, Joseph Olsham is going to be there. Black Diamond Fall is the name of his new book coming out it's a mystery and it is set in and around middlebury college in vermont Ooh. and the cover is like of a snowy scene with ski tracks so that totally sucked me in just you know i'm a sucker for a good cover yes um so that is one that i'm interested in thursday september 20th also at rj julia madison is jason stanley who's going to be talking about his book, How Fascism Works. Mm. And that is a book, you know, I probably won't read it because my nervous system can't handle um, <laughs> a lot of that, um, but I would be interested in his talk. He's also going to be then up at RJ uh, Wesleyan in Middletown on October 3rd, two options to choose from. And then the last event that caught my eye, but I realize it's the night of our 
talk at Mohegan Sun. It's so it's the twenty seventh. Bill Goldstein um, is going to be there talking about um, at R J Madison about his book, The Moderns, you know, Virginia Woolf, Lawrence, some of the other writers of the modernist movement. And I haven't read the book. I've heard really good things about it. Like our friend Kate um, from New York really liked it and really likes him as an author and a thinker of books. Mm -hmm. So, but we'll have to keep our eye out or I'll have to keep my eye out for other opportunities because he I did look at the book one time and he vaguely kind of just dismisses Willa Cather. Oh. Because, yeah. you know, so people... You threw it across the room? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> people don't consider her a modernist, but the title of his book, The World Broken 2, is from a Cather quote. Oh, that's she ironic. Wrote, yeah, that The yeah. World Broken 2 around 1922 were there. And that because of World War One, you know, there was such a big split in how people thought and what people valued and everything. But so many people don't consider her a modernist. Hmm. writer which is kind of changing as scholars do their magic hmm. so those are some upcoming jaunts well i'm sorry you? that his jaunts or his event's going to be quiet since everyone's going to be at I know, Sun with us. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding not really just a reminder chris and i are co-hosting an event with mohegan sun and bank square books and um it's on september 27th at seven o'clock Historical Fiction Panel with Fiona Davis, Melody Winnower, James R. Ben, and Marie Benedict. We would love to see people there. I think it's going to be a really fun night. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we'll wait. be staying after. We'd love to see people afterwards if you're hanging around. There will also be a book signing with all four authors. Mm -hmm. So come, please. Come on out, yep. yeah. And then the only other thing I have on my radar is the Boston Book Festival, which isn't until October, but October's mm. not that far away now. Yeah. October 13th. And I'm really, I have wanted to get to that since I moved here, and this is going to be the fourth opportunity, so I think it's time <laughs> to go. Yeah. I would love to figure out a way to meet up with some people. I know Linda Johnson, our friend from Booktopia, has started on fans of Booktopia, I think, a question series, you know, like, who's coming? Mm -hmm. So maybe we can capitalize on her uh, beginning research and yeah. see who's there and try to meet up with some people. I, I'm pretty sure it's one day, October 13th. It's free with the exception of two ticketed events. The tickets aren't expensive, but I do think that they sell out every year. Okay. So I'm going to try to get myself going on that mm -hmm. and make some plans um, yeah and i mean there's authors there's also some events for writers some conversations about writing cool i started looking at the schedule myself because i'd like to go would do you think you'd go up for the day or would you stay overnight or i think it depends on if i go with you or not okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about that because if we both go then you know it's e to me it's easier to do like a 6 a.m drive and a 10 p.m drive if you right. know you're gonna have company versus yeah. True. Just having coffee. So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that. And um, once we're, we're going to have another episode, obviously, to talk about it. So mm -hmm. we'll let people know what we decide to do. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Upcoming reads. I oh have my. a feeling this is going to be a big segment. Yes. I have a stack. I'll, quickly, I'll say I, too, my upcoming read is Solemn Graves by James R. Ben, obviously, because we're going to be seeing him in a couple of weeks. That's already been mentioned. Um, I have... Do you want me to just keep going? Sure. Go ahead. You do your stack and I'll do mine. Okay. <laughs> I have the book of essay, Essie by Megan McLean Weir. This is one that Anne Kingman had mentioned when mm -hmm. she was on with us. In the spring, and um, it just came out, I want to say, in September, maybe, maybe in um, August. And this is the one that's about um, a young woman. I think her family's a reality television show or something like that. Right. So and Does she get pregnant or something? I don't something? remember. Okay. I don't remember, but I can't wait to dig in. When I saw that at the library, I was so excited. And then I got some very exciting book mail, which was a book I had recommended from the from the publisher. So thank you, Europa, for sending me the new Amelie Notham Strike Your Heart. Cool. It has a very interesting, beautiful cover. And um, I'm a huge fan of Amelie Notham. I haven't seen a book of hers come out in a while. She's was born in Japan um, to Belgian parents, but lives in Paris. <laughs> Oh, I've never heard of her. <laughs> yeah, she wrote a book called Fear and Trembling. She has a lot of books, but not many of them have been translated okay. into English. 
the um the only ones that have I think are Tokyo Fiance or something like that and Fear and Trembling, which was her I think it was somewhat autobiographical of her experience working for a Japanese company. So she's a beautiful writer. Her books are, as you can see, very slim. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just love her. So when I heard she had a new book out, I was so excited. This book's only 135 pages. So strike your heart, Amelie Notham. And then the last one is another one that Europa sent. And this is supposed to be one of the new, big, hot YA books of the year. It's called A Winter's Promise. It's a cool cover. It's got a super cool cover. On the side, it says The Mirror Visitor, book one. Mm. And it's by Christelle Davos. And this, too, is a translation. I think it was translated, let me look, from the French. Okay. Yeah. So it's. I think it's fantasy, sci-fi fantasy. And I will tell you more because I want to dig into it. Excellent. So are you going to start that one next, do you think? I probably will start... Well, I'll probably start the Solemn Graves. Oh, okay. Because I'm on yeah. deadline for that one. <laughs> Although I might sneak in Amelie Notham's book since it's so short yeah. and I love her so much and I've had it for like a week and haven't. <laughs> so I probably will actually that's, I will do her book and then Solemn Graves. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So that's my stack. Well, my stack, I, I um, got a copy of Seaweed Chronicles, A World at the Water's Edge. It's by Susan Hand Shetterly and it's a book about seaweed. Wow. We live on the shoreline. We see seaweed all the time. Uh, our friends John and Deb were in from Chicago just a couple weeks ago, and we were floating around in the water one day. It was really friggin' hot. And, you know, these lovely green pieces of seaweed were floating by, so John and I took one, and we were looking at it and decided to eat a bit of it and chewed on it, and it was very plasticky. I spit it out. John swallowed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, great. <laughs> As far as I know, he's still alive and kicking. <laughs> but, you know, I like sushi. And it, it looked like that kind of, who knows what kind of. So my whole point being, I had heard about this book. And then as soon as I put that piece of seaweed in my mouth, I thought, I really need to get that seaweed book. So I got it. <laughs> That's I what I love about you, this Chris. winter. <laughs> well, you know, there's a kelp business in um, Stony Creek. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stony yeah. Creek. That's cool. And they think it is the new kale. That's how oh, they sell yeah. themselves. So. Well, you know, when I worked at the health food store, we had a lot of seaweed-based foods and mm -hmm. snacks. Yeah. Like, you can get dried seaweed just to have as a snack. Oh, yeah. And yeah. obviously, it's used in sushi and everything. And it is a staple, especially in Japan and other Asian countries. Yeah. So, that will be one. I, on the way over here, I picked up a book. Um, I mentioned earlier that there are not a lot of adult books about horseshoe crabs earlier, but here's one that I found. It's called Horseshoe Crabs and Velvet Worms, The Story of the Animals and Plants That Time Has Left Behind mm. by Richard Forty. Um, and it is a big old hardcover book about horseshoe crabs and, and some of these other really ancient animals. It has some pretty cool color pictures in here too yeah so i'm looking forward to that i also picked up another book that came in on hold today behold the dreamers a novel by imbolo embu mm -hmm. and sure. that's been on my list for a while yeah yeah this one i think i got this one because one of the booktubers i follow mel of mel's bookland adventures i think that's the title of her channel she does a a monthly international reading club book club oh, and so every month she chooses well she chooses three books from a certain country and then has her followers vote on it she has a goodreads page and so followers vote on which book they're most interested in reading and this was one that's coming up i don't know if it's the september or the october book okay but it sounded really good yeah that one's been on my radar for a while yeah, yeah. and then while i was at the library <laughs> the witches by Stacy Schiff was on display, of course, because, you know, Halloween, October is right around the corner. And this is a book I wanted to read when it first came out and never got around to it. So I grabbed it. We'll see. It's about the Salem witch trials in 1692. Wow. That, I still want to get to Salem. I'm dying cool to get place. there. Yeah. Probably go with you. Yeah. Maybe we could go, if we go to 
the Boston Book Fest together, maybe we could, you know, stop on the way up or down. Yeah, we're not going to have time for that that day. <laughs> Dare to dream. Dare to dream. I always want to add more. I know, I know. I know. All right. Well, we can always just go up for a day sometime. Yeah, I would love to do that. Now, this is a book that Emily just handed to me. Apparently, the publisher sent it. I am super excited about it. It's the new book by Carlos Ruiz Zafan, The Labyrinth of the Spirits. Just came out. It's hot off the press. I've seen other people talking about it. Actually, it's September 18th. Yeah, I don't it think it's... Out. So, sorry. It's, yeah, it'll, it'll be, be almost out. It'll, yeah. It'll be, I guess, coming oh, no. out the day that this yes, episode goes live. Right. So, and if his name rings a bell, um, this series started with The Shadow of the Wind, which I know is a lot of people's favorites. Um, and I was telling Emily, because she was like really pleased, I think, when my eyes got as big yeah. as saucers when she held it out. I was like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but my friend Missy, who I worked with at Borders, would, you know, we'd all be recommending books to each other all the time. But she said to me one day, she's like, you have to read this book. And I think it was an arc at the time. I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> Missy told, you know, she's like, she laid it down. So I, I read that book and I loved it. It's one of those books that has everything that certain types of book lovers love. You know, an ancient, mysterious library. It's set in Spain uh, during the Civil War years. There's a little bit of a ghosty element. Mm. Um, so it's a lovely book. Involves a bookstore as well and an author who mysteriously disappears. Uh, yeah, it's just a great book. So, and I've I read love books with bookstores. Yeah, I've read the other books um, related to these characters. And he had said, I remember reading an article by him years ago saying it's not a series, it's like not a trilogy or a quad, whatever it would be. But they're different characters. They're. The same characters at different times. Okay. So he didn't want it to be looked like at that. as like a series kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I read, uh, is this the fourth one? I'm not really sure. This is the third or the fourth. So there's A Shadow of the Wind, The Angel's Game, The Prisoner of Heaven, and then now this one, Labyrinth okay, of the so Spirits. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we'll see. I mean, I love Shadow of the Wind so much that I got my hands on a first edition wow. hardcover. That's and, saying something. And I don't really collect books anymore in that way, but some of my beloved ones, I do like to get hardcover first edition yeah. when possible. So are you going to start with that one then? What this are you going one? to start with? Well, I am. You know, I just started um, The Solemn Grace. Right. I don't know. It's so hard to say because this is a chunky book. It is. Let's see. What is this one? This one is... Ooh, 801 pages. Yeah. Yeah. So, eek, I don't really know. But it's, <laughs> it's by Harper, so thank you, Harper, for sending yes. us a copy. Yes. Definitely appreciate it, and it will be read. Well, you guys will have to tune in. Now, we are going to have a different... Our episode 60 is... Should we talk about this? Yeah, or? sure. Episode 60 that's coming up after this episode, <laughs> obviously, because we do do things in numerical order around here. <laughs> um, it's going to be a conversation with our mystery man, John Valerie. Right. And then two weeks after that, 61, we'll be back with a, one of our typical One of our regular episodes. episodes. Yeah. Yep. So until then, everybody, happy, happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online... Join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.